Welcome to episode 24 of Untangled Faith. On this episode, I talk with Greg and Lauren Thoman, and they share their perspective of the situation I shared with you in the previous episode. What's it like to be minding your own business only to have your life completely upended? You're about to find out. And I spent two months probably like trying to figure out how to begin to have a a relationship again when they had just heard a bunch of stuff about me that is not true coming from a source that they're still they're still employed by. If I've been wounded and put in the hospital and someone never comes to visit me and ask if I'm okay, I'm not going to drag myself out of my bed and go hunt them down and ask them why they didn't come visit me. There, there has to be a boundary there. People need to invest at least a minimal amount of caring. At the time of our lives when we really, really needed support, we were being blamed as a victim. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith, while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Last week, I shared how leaders at Ramsey Solutions sent a threatening letter and set up a meeting with Nathan's new employer shortly after we shared the truth of why Nathan left. This week, I'm eager to share with you another perspective on this situation from another family caught in the crossfire. Here's Greg and Lauren Thoman. It's interesting because I had just made the transition from manual labor, from home remodeling and repair into development. In 2011, shortly after Greg made that switch to development, the contract job he was doing ran out of work for him. The good news was that he had already started the interview process with Ramsey. The bad news was that it was a very long process. You applied for this job at Ramsey because... You had mentioned on Facebook that you were teaching yourself web development and you had a friend who worked at Ramsey reach out and be like, hey, we're hiring developers. You should apply. And you were like, I am in no way qualified to apply for that job. So let's apply. And he talked you into it. He was like, you should do it anyway, because and it's funny because this feels very different now. He said, the most important thing is that you're a culture fit. And I think if you can convince them you're a culture fit. They'll bring you on as a developer. I remember starting that interview process and having the first interview being the HR culture fit interview. They're getting to know you a little bit. Greg moved on to the technical interviews. Remember, he was brand new to this skill. He knew very, very little. As a part of the process, Greg had submitted a code sample. For the second part of the technical interview, Greg was given a problem to solve. He found out much later what the technical interview team thought of the work he had submitted. And they were like, so you came in at a two, like your initial code sample was a two. Out of? Out of 10. Then we had you do the, like the, the project, like the sample project, and that came back at a six. And it was only a couple weeks later. And so they were like, oh, this is, this is a guy that can learn quickly. Oh, and by the way, Greg was hired to be a Flash developer. And in Greg's words, Flash was a language that was tanking at the time. How many days at Ramsey did you spend working in? Two or three, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure in your conversations, in your interview, there was a way of talking that you were like, I can figure out things. They did ask, how did you get the skills that you have? I'm like, the library. Here's all these books. Ramsey says they are looking for, and Nathan said he'd heard this, 
hungry, humble, and smart. I think I'm, probably when you come in and you're like, I taught myself a new career at the public library, that <laughs> that conveys yeah, probably all three of those. Ultimately, Greg was offered the job and they happily accepted it. Greg told me that he used to listen to Dave's radio show while cutting grass, wondering if someday he might be able to cut the grass at Financial Peace Plaza. Now, he was actually working there. I felt like I had found my people. I was immediately taken into that group. What did you love about it? It didn't feel like working to me. It felt like I was just problem solving and having fun. Was there a time or a thing that made you think, this isn't going to be a forever job for me? Yeah, so so when I started, I didn't have trouble agreeing with everything that was being said. Uh, in staff meeting, in Devo, on, on the radio show, I agreed with everything. And just, not just the baby steps. But like the worldview being presented. It made sense to me. After a few years, you know, you and I had a, had a lot of ongoing conversations and I've been reading a lot of a lot of books and stories from from people who had a different life experience than I did, particularly, you know, people from marginalized communities. And over time, like reading those things, I realized that it was becoming clear to me that the world was is more complex than I had originally thought. Well, and a lot of the problems is especially, you know, financially, which is where Ramsey is focused, but generally because in Devos and everything you talk about much more like broader issues facing the world. It seemed like the explanations being given for this is why our world is the way it is like and here's what we do about it. That was seeming more and more like an oversimplified version. It's not like everything we talked about at the company was money, but it always seemed like uh, ideas and thoughts, you know, about the world were presented in a kind of an us versus them paradigm, even through like these, these much larger issues than just money. And in us versus them, you mean like, here's how we're we've got it right. Yes. And they've got it wrong. Yeah, it was very much a we're we're doing this the right way. And if you're not doing it this way, you're stupid. There's a whole section on the radio show that like Dave rants, like in YouTube, you can Google like Dave rants, and where he'll rant about a topic. And it's not always a financial topic. And it's presented as like, here is the correct stance on this. And if you disagree, you're wrong. Right? Yeah, like Dave would often say, you don't have to agree with him to work here, right? You don't have to. And and at the same time, I was starting to notice much more of this us versus them kind of more derogatory language when he is describing people that don't think or act like he does or like he thinks you should. And so he would demean their intelligence and dismiss their faith and yeah, call, I, I, he called people who disagreed with him atheists a lot. Yeah, right? I remember member intelligence being kind of the big thing. If only they were smarter, they would see that this is the right mm -hmm. answer. This mm -hmm. is the right way to look at this. So those cutting and insulting remarks that he would make in in staff meeting Devo a lot uh, on the on the radio show uh, were starting to affect me more personally and not because they were more directed at me but I, I was i was turning into a them person because it them was they were anyone who didn't see the world the way that dave saw the world it was it was very exclusive uh the language that they would use and drawing those borders between 
people who thought like us and other. Yeah, I think the audience is you know kind of targeted as that us. And if you're not us, uh, we're going to make you us. Or you're wrong. Like I was hired as a, you know, uh, primarily as a culture fit, I would say, given where my development skills were at the time. And I grew in that, you know, my, I grew my development experience in engineering and problem solving and uh, and all of that. And I loved what I did and the people that I worked with. And I started to feel that like my team culture was one thing, but then the broader company culture was m- increasingly uh, us versus them. Toward the end of my uh, tenure at the company, I was much more in the them camp. Well, and was it that the culture was increasingly more us versus them or that you were just becoming more aware of it? I think it's a little bit of both. Like I was growing in my worldview. um, But then also the the company culture itself was much more was becoming much more stringent us versus them. You're either with us or you're against us. Even in the in the got your six meeting, like Dave um, said, you're either with me or, or against me. Yeah. But I actually think a lot of that started along kind of the Me Too movement, because that's where like it became very evident that my trajectory as a person was not going to line up with Ramsey long term. A few years before you left, probably around the time that the Me Too movement was happening and Black Lives Matter was, you know, becoming a real major social movement. We were having these talks at home about what can you do in your workplace to try to affect positive change. And you started having some conversations with various members of leadership and human resources. And uh, what did that look like? Yeah, I I remember going to HR, especially while I was looking for, you know, people for my own teams, looking for more diverse hiring, right? Like I would love to have more experience on my team than just what I've experienced through my life. I remember going to HR and saying, hey, how do we hire more diversely? How do we attract more diverse team members? Those conversations always ended with the same phrase of we hire the best people for the job. Greg and Lauren were also having a similar conversation at home about the Me Too movement. And if there was anything Greg could do in his role to make it a safer space for women and any victims of sexual harassment or assault. I remember going to the leadership in in HR and saying, hey, what are our sexual harassment policies? Like, what's the what's the process there? Let's say, you know, somebody did have an issue. Like, what do they do? And the response was, we don't have those policies and we don't have those problems here. We're a we're a Christian organization. We don't have problem with sexual harassment. If we did have those policies, it's going to make it look like we do have a problem with sexual harassment. There was a resistance to even having the policies at the time. I was expecting it to the response to be, "Hey, here's here's where it is in our handbook." I would respond with, "That's great. How do we communicate that out better to the rest of the company?" It hadn't occurred to us the policies don't exist. We just thought yeah. they must not be very accessible. Now, I mean, I think we should say it is important to note we don't know if this is still true because that I think that was the only time you ever had that conversation, which would have been back in 2017. Yeah. Probably. So it is possible that has changed in the last few years. You didn't know of it changing before you left in 2020. 
No, there hadn't been any communication about it. So if if a policy was ever put in place, it was still never made, you know, abundantly clear to the employees, at least before you left. And then afterwards, we don't know. We're not under the impression that anything has changed there. Right. But we can't say for sure. How does it work when you feel like you're not a culture fit, but you're you feel like you are a professional fit yeah. at this place where both are really stressed. What do you do with that? Because Ramsey makes it really hard to look for another job. Yeah. Um, and we weren't ready to just quit. We couldn't afford to. Greg was happy enough in the day to day that he didn't want to. How do I make this work as long as possible? Yeah. Because I don't see a good way to leave because you can't, interview for a job without taking time off work. I can't get the word out that I'm interested. I can't update my LinkedIn without them realizing I'm looking for another job. So how did you end up leaving then? <laughs> I couldn't quit. I couldn't get fired because all of my contacts in the industry were at Ramsey. Yeah. And I knew and I'd seen it happen with other people when they're gone, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And you don't have contact with them. I had already had time off for personal reasons that day Nathan called me and he was like hey have a product position open there's already a bunch of people applied the interview process is happening they're looking to make a decision soon I think it's something you should look at completely unknown to Nathan the day he reached out to Greg to share with him about an opening at his company Greg was at home dealing with a family emergency but it turned out to be perfect because it allowed Greg to do this thing that we had been for years saying, I see no way this is going to happen. Something has to fall into your lap without you actually looking for it during a time when you already have time off. And that's exactly what happened. It went from Tuesday morning, we knew nothing about this job to by Sunday, he'd accept. We were giddy. We were (laughs) so... Because Greg was pretty much the first friend that Nathan had at Ramsey. And it was also really funny because before before Nathan left Ramsey, Greg had been like over the moon that Nathan was coming to work on his team. It was a dinner table conversation every night of how excited Greg was. Nathan is almost ready to come to my team. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then one day it was Nathan quit. (laughs) And I said, what? I thought he was going to join your team. He was like, I did too. But he quit. And I was like, why? He's like, I don't know. I think that it was some sort of big personal thing. I like, yeah. And Greg's joke when he moved, he was like, no one realized how serious I was about working with Nathan. When someone leaves Ramsey, they're often quick to clarify if they left on good terms. So I had to ask Greg if he fit the definition of leaving on good terms. I would say so. I left quickly. It was a Monday and I remember going in knowing that I was going to give in, give my notice because of the projects that I was involved in. They would probably want me to work out those two weeks before I head out. And I remember sitting at my desk, not able to do it because I was like terrified. And my leader comes up, my direct leader, and he, we were just shooting the breeze about the weekend. And then he's like, hey, we got to get going to staff meeting. And I was just like, I'm not going to go to staff meeting. He's like, why, why not? I was like, we can talk about it after. And he was like, no, nah, I need to. No, I was like, I'm giving my two weeks notice today. And then the questions came up as I was talking with like other leaders and my previous leaders. And eventually I was like, hey, what's one thing that you could change about this place? Wow. I was meeting with some very senior leadership on the exit process. And 
they were like, what would you change about this? And I was like, okay. This was Greg's chance to share some of his concerns. The way Dave talks about people who don't agree with him is offensive. And when he, when he's calling them, uh, them stupid, he's talking about me. He's talking about people like me. And, and as a, as a sidebar here, there are people at Ramsey who are gradually no longer sitting in the us group. Greg shared that after telling senior leadership that he found their figurehead offensive, his timeline for leaving changed very quickly. And that ended up being his last day. And then I had the one leader that I really wanted to go to personally and say, hey, I respect you. We've had a great relationship. I'm, this is my two weeks notice. And he was upset. But then after work. Yeah, I went out to the pub with my team. Your team took you out. Yeah. Because they wanted to celebrate you and say goodbye. And I remember you said that you spent the like hour after work talking about all your fondest Ramsey memories. And it was fun. I still do have some good memories of that place. It went as well as it could have possibly gone. Yeah. I feel like I left on good terms. Greg left Ramsey at the end of January 2020. He stayed in contact with his friends, but he didn't give the organization or leadership much thought until May 20th, 2020. It's routine that I'm pretty heads down most of the day. I remember hearing our doorbell ring and me going, okay, well, sounds like Lauren has that. remember getting a text from Lauren that was like, hey, when you're done, we need to have a quick conversation. The doorbell rang. At 4.15, someone was standing there and I was like, this is unusual because, you know, early days of COVID, I went and answered the door and it was a courier who hand delivered me a letter and confirmed this is where Greg Bowman lives. I opened it. I was like, something from Ramsey? And I was like, this is weird. So I opened it and I read it and I honestly had like no comprehension of what I was reading. The things in this letter are so bizarre. I have absolutely no idea what it's referring to, but it sounds serious. And so that's when I texted Greg and I didn't want to freak him out because I knew he was in the middle of a meeting. And so like 20 minutes later, he texted me and he's like, I'm done now. I walked upstairs and I was like, this was hand delivered to us and it's from Ramsey and I don't understand what is happening. Our first instinct was just utter confusion because we read it and... I think we both literally thought, I think they've made a mistake. Now, remember, Greg had left on good terms and wasn't giving Ramsey much thought at all. Here is the letter that Greg received from the general counsel at Ramsey Solutions. Dear Mr. Thoman, it has come to our attention that you have been actively soliciting employees of Ramsey Solutions in an attempt to obtain confidential and proprietary company information. You must immediately cease and desist from all such activity as it is a clear violation of the employment policies and procedures agreement that you executed while employed at Ramsey Solutions. Furthermore, if you have obtained or are in possession of any Ramsey Solutions company information, you must immediately return it to us and certify that you have not made or retained any copies. In addition... I want to remind you that Ramsey Solutions actively and diligently protects its trademarks, goodwill, and reputation in the marketplace and other public forums. Ramsey Solutions strongly cautions you against engaging in any activity that is slanderous, libelous, or defamatory toward Ramsey Solutions or its employees, including its founder, Dave Ramsey. Please confirm to me in writing 
no later than 5 p.m. CST on May 22nd, your intent to comply promptly with the demands outlined in this letter. Should you or agents acting on your behalf fail to comply with these demands, Ramsey Solutions will pursue all legal, contractual, and equitable remedies available to enjoin your impermissible activity and to recover all monetary damages to which it is entitled. The foregoing is not intended as a comprehensive statement of Ramsey Solutions' rights or position, and nothing herein shall be deemed to be a waiver of any of Ramsey Solutions' rights at law or in equity. We kept looking and going, did you take anything confidential from Ramsey? <laughs> we were scouring our brains trying to figure out what we could possibly have that would be considered confidential and proprietary company information. What actions yeah. Greg could have done that might be construed as soliciting from employees confidential information. At the same time, we were like, they're threatening to sue us. We had just got the house. Brand new job, brand new house. I think we just kept coming back to, this is a mistake. We didn't know what a cease and desist meant. It seemed to us like they were threatening a lawsuit unless we admitted to doing something that we had no idea what they were talking about. Nathan and I had just returned from a walk and we had walked in the door and Isaac told us that somebody had come by when we were gone. And my first thought was that somebody had come to serve us legal papers. Either right at that same time, Nathan's phone was ringing or he realized that he had missed a call from Greg. So he quickly was on the phone talking to Greg. And Nathan called to you and I could hear it. Hey, Amy, Greg got a C&D. And Greg laughed and he was like, oh, so you know the lingo. And then it was while I was on the phone, he was like, oh, wait, we have a letter too. So this was all like happening in real time. Yeah. While that's happening, I think I get a message from another friend, mm -hmm. my friend Heather, who says, we just got a letter. I think Nathan at that point reached out to, I don't know who, and maybe he had reached out to his leader. Over the course of about an hour, we found out that four people received these letters Three of the four were working at the same place. Were you prepared for that to happen? No. No, because you hadn't, had you done anything to offend or as like far make as them we knew, incite no. this? The only thing that was happening was Greg was continuing to maintain his relationships. And he had mentioned to his friends, one of his other friends had reached out to Greg because he knew Greg was taking COVID seriously. Yeah. And so he had reached out with frustrations about I'm frustrated that Ramsey isn't taking this seriously. And in that, he had sent a screenshot of like one sentence of an internal email being like, look at what they sent to us. Did you ask him to send you internal email screenshots? No. No, okay. it was literally out of the blue. Like Greg received a text message from a friend the next day that increased their confusion and alarm. You got a text message from a friend that was still at Ramsey. Hey, you should know they had a meeting about you yesterday. You were like, they had a what? It's really difficult to piece this together, even over a year and a half later. What we were told at the time was they pulled between 100 and 200 people into a room, mentioned Greg by name, Nathan by name. Dave was there and board members were there. And they said they had a local pastor there. And during this meeting, they accused all of them of forming a coup to take down the company and destroy everyone's jobs. Once he pieced that together, he that's when he reached out to Greg and he was like, they had a meeting about you and they are saying these things about you. Yes. We're still kind of in shock and be like, but we're not doing anything. We're literally doing nothing. 
Yeah. Um, we got this letter and we have no idea what it's about. Now we're being accused of starting a coup. Over time, we've gotten numerous versions of this story. Yeah. We've had enough people corroborate. There was a meeting. That these guys, these guys were mentioned by name and that it was they were the bad very guys. accusatory. Like my friends, I could see definitely like being scared. I know this person also that puts me in a really weird place, but I had really good relationships all the way up through a lot of the leadership members, including board members and the one that I, you know, had tried to contact multiple times since leaving and no one reached out. So as, as far as like trying to find the truth, trying to look into things, doing any sort of investigation, it didn't happen. We know from You Got Your Six Audio that Dave's method of investigation is if someone that you have a relationship with is accused of doing something bad, the way you investigate is you go to them and you ask. And as much as I don't think that is a credible means of investigation, that's Dave's method yeah. where he says over and over, you go to the person and you ask them. And so even by those standards of investigation, half those board members have Greg's number in their phone. No one reached out. Instead, they just had this meeting where they said these things that had to have been lies because we yeah. weren't doing it. Well, Here's a, potentially a couple hundred people that are hearing false things about me and I'm not there to defend myself. Who knows like how devastating that was to my contact list, friends and just industry. Yeah. It's gone. Greg told me and then he was like, I've set up a meeting with Nathan and the other guy that they worked with just because I need to let them know what's going on. And it was, it was Zoom. You were there, Amy. The other guy's wife was also there on this meeting mm -hmm. and where Greg like briefed everyone. Even at the time, we were all laughing about it. We were like, and the more we thought about it, the more we're like, oh, they're being really serious about this. We should maybe speak to a lawyer. We wound up getting in touch with an employment lawyer in Nashville. He said, I see a lot of CNDs as an employment lawyer. This one is unusually harsh. He said, they wrote this to scare you. The other thing that I remember the lawyer saying to us, one was, if you respond to this, this is worded in such a way that it feels like they're trying to trap you. So if we craft a response, you need to be very careful to not agree that these terms that they apply to you actually apply to you because I don't think they do. Yeah. And the other thing he said was when we told him about the meeting, he said, how many people were at that meeting? He's like, they want you to know about that. The timing, how many people were there. I don't know what's going on. They want to scare you. Oh, and the other thing was, that, yeah, they didn't want you to talk to a lawyer. He said, this timeline is so tight. The letter and the meeting would have been really bad in and of themselves. But yeah. that wasn't all they did. That was not all. It was a no. busy three days. But wait, there's more. I want to remind you that Greg has been with his new company at this point for only a little over three months. That's important to know as we get into the next part of this account. We found out on Thursday night that Ramsey Solutions leadership had contacted the leaders at Nathan and Greg's new place of employment and set up a meeting. This was a meeting specifically set up to talk about Greg, Nathan, and Nathan's former leader, who are all now working together for this new employer. It's also important to note that Nathan didn't go directly from Ramsey to work for this new employer, and neither did his leader. And when Nathan reached out to Greg, Nathan was not bound by any no poaching agreement. The call was trying to instill distrust with my new leadership team. And it was about you and Nathan and, and the, third, other, the third ex Ramsey. I was sitting in the room when we all were given a summary of that meeting between their employer and Ramsey Solutions. And it was terrible. 
we never would have guessed that they would be willing to stoop low enough to go after these guys' jobs. And to remind you, Greg hadn't done anything. I had shared our story on my website, story of why Nathan had resigned from his job. Greg had done absolutely nothing. And yet over the course of just a couple days, Greg lost friends, colleagues, business contacts, and now they were coming for his job. The people I interacted with at Ramsey, they knew me. Yeah. They know I'm a good person. They knew I was a good leader. They, they knew all of these things about my character. And when it came down to it, and this includes a lot of leadership. This when, includes the person that called your company. Yeah. Why? And this was the person that you had been trying to chase down and get together with because yeah. you hadn't been able to talk to him. People cannot even begin to imagine if they've ever been in this situation. How traumatic was that for either one of you or both? The, the very telling thing is that we've been in therapy since since this happened we're on medication for anxiety that was not a thing before Mm -hmm. we still have panic attacks when the doorbell rings the letters are addressed to greg but it really felt like because ramsey stresses your whole family has to be all in it felt like they were coming after all of us and they were because they were trying to take away our source of income i freelance but i can't afford our house on just what i make They had not just threatened his job, but also threatened every business connection he had that could possibly help him get a new one. We had people like come out and talk to me like after we had like started sharing our our story a little bit and they didn't quite know what to think about it. It didn't it didn't make any sense to them. They knew they knew me. It makes it seem like we're leaving something out of our story that we're like fabricating something And we would get comments like, okay, yeah, that sounds horrible, but surely you did something. At the time of our lives when we really, really needed support, we were being blamed as a victim. Tell me about that next month or two and what that was like for you. Who could you talk to? What? How bad was that? I was I was talking to no one. For, For a long time there, Greg was talking to no one. I was talking to you and a couple other ex-Ramsey wives who knew about the situation. And that was it because I didn't talk to even my closest friends going into this. None of my closest friends were associated with Ramsey at all, but I, d- I was afraid to talk to them yeah. because the, the main thing we were scared of was a lawsuit because Ramsey had threatened us with legal action. They had held a meeting where they accused us of all sorts of things. They tried to get Greg fired. And this was all with no provocation whatsoever. So when they were willing to go that far, when we hadn't done anything, we couldn't rule out that they were going to keep going. Yeah. So Um, you were still operating under the assumption they might still sue us. mm -hmm. And so we need to be really careful that we can show that there is nothing that we have said or done. We weren't doing anything before. Right. What can we stop doing? Right. Yeah. It's nothing. So we were scared of anything would would actually incur. I didn't know if they would say turn over any communication you've had about Ramsey. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to have any communication. Or if they were going to say, if they were going to subpoena my, my, my best friends that I was known to be good friends with and ask, have you had any conversations about Ramsey? 
And so the easiest way to protect them was just to not have any conversations about Ramsey. Nothing felt safe for months. We just, we, we talked to each other and I talked to you and a couple other Ramsey wives who, with the exception of you, who I didn't know before this. Yeah. I hadn't had a lot of Ramsey friends. The couple I had weren't there anymore or were there and therefore weren't, didn't seem safe. Yeah. No one felt safe, but especially people that were still in the building because, you know, do they believe were these horrible people? Did they believe that? Were they at that meeting? But Greg, you were brand new to your job. And so Lauren is at least, you know, she is doing contract stuff, but she has time in between stuff to like connect with me, Mm -hmm. talk through some things. But you're probably working your butt off to show how low maintenance you are and how much, how much you like, you, you love this new job and this is all you have. You're not talking to anybody until Lauren at the end of the day. How was that? Yeah, I had a, I had a rough few months um, because my, my primary concern was actually not Ramsey uh, for those couple months, which is kind of be going to be odd to hear. But my entire support system was still in that company. Um, and like Nathan and I are are really close now, way closer than we were at Ramsey. And we were pretty close at Ramsey. But he was not in my like close circle of friends that we would just go play games and go like play hockey together and go play croquet. Yeah, we would go play croquet Croquet. on the lawn, right? Like (laughs) the same group of people for four or five years, right? Sitting together every day. When all of this went down, my first thought was I am not going to lose these friendships that I spent like with, with my best friend. Like it was eight years building this friendship. That was my main goal. And now like I'm still pretty close to to one of them, kind of halfway close to another. And then I hardly ever talk to the other guy. And it's devastating. And I spent two months probably like trying to figure out how to talk to these guys and how to begin to have a, a relationship again when they had just heard a bunch of stuff about me that is, is not true. Yeah. But at the same time, it's coming from a source that still, they're still employed by. Yeah. This happened 18 months ago. And just now we're talking on your podcast about yeah. it. I've posted some stuff on social media, but I've always been very careful and and pretty vague. The reason for that, and it, I think it was especially true in the months right after it happened, our story on its own, unless you know a lot of context around it, doesn't sound real. It sounds like we are really picking and choosing the facts to include to make ourselves look really innocent and Ramsey look really bad. I think even the people that were in Ramsey in that meeting that knew this does not line up with anything I know of Greg, well, first of all, they couldn't really ask him what's your side because it was very clear they weren't supposed to be talking to him at all. The few people that are still willing to maintain those relationships, just the fact that they're responding to phone calls or texts, that's a risk for them. And they know it's a risk. And they're being very, very careful to not talk about work, to not talk about anything potentially inflammatory. So they're definitely not going to say, hey, Greg, they said a bunch of bad stuff about you. Is it true? Yeah. What's your side? 
nor is he going to risk those relationships. They're so fragile by saying, hey, I know you had a meeting about me. Do you want to hear my side of it? All they have is this story that doesn't feel right. And the most Greg would say to anyone was, I didn't do the things they said I did. And if you want to hear more, I think the thing that people landed on must have happened is we did something by accident. And it wasn't until we started talking more with with you guys and that we actually had pieced it together. And then it started to make sense. I think it's important to state 18 months later, we still don't definitively know why they did what they did. Yeah, we have a pretty solid working theory. At this point, they were really nervous about COVID and they were really nervous about Hogan. So our theory is Greg worked with two guys who had quit over Hogan and Greg was still talking to a lot of people that were inside still had a really good relationship. And the people on the inside were talking to Greg about COVID. Yeah. And someone leaked that email to the Nashville scene. I think it was just this perfect storm of paranoia and having connections with people that they were very concerned about. Our best theory as to why Greg was included in this, but it was he has too many points of contact between these very sensitive issues and people that are in our company, we know he was someone people liked and people respected and people listened to. And so all of that together, I think he had to be discredited before he might say something that people would listen to. I, I did have an individual who was having who had you know reached out because of their COVID response. And later was pressured. And then I don't remember if he was fired or no, if, he, he quit. if he resigned. In his exit path, he had an exit interview with his VP, which was a different VP than before because of the leadership change. I think it's important to know that this shows that they knew, like, they knew what they were doing and they had a line ready for if anybody questioned it. So he goes to this VP, you know, what you did to Greg, that's a horrible, horrible thing like that. I don't remember the exact words because yeah. I wasn't there. The VP's response was that was just a shot across the bow. Like it was which, no big deal. Which means one, he knew what they were doing. He knew who was involved and he knew what to say about it. And for them to just think this isn't that big of a deal, but their actions could have destroyed our family. And to say that so flippantly. That was gaslighting, right? Like that, oh, that thing we did where we took away all your friends and yeah. tried to get you fired? That was no big deal. There's an interesting parallel that I want to kind of draw here. You guys have talked about gossip policy yeah. in general on, on this podcast. As far as, like, the company has a no gossip policy, mm -hmm. right? But when it came time for them to actually put it into practice, they didn't. They could have come to me. The person who can solve the problem. Right. Well, meanwhile, they talked to a whole lot of people who couldn't do anything to solve the problem. They couldn't do anything to solve the problem. They were just saying bad things about people they didn't like without actually talking to those people. Like, there's also... Like you've, you've said this a number of times on your on your podcast that the truth wants to be investigated. The truth says, investigate me, 
but in an extremely cowardice way. If you're in that building, there's no way for you to figure out the truth. It also made it very personal. It's not just these people are unhappy with leadership. It's these people are trying to take away your jobs, you, yeah. their friends. Yes. They are trying to take food out of your children's mouths. If that's the narrative they're pushing and at the same time leaving the impression that to talk to us is to endorse the coup to take down the company and destroy everyone's livelihoods. Most people were not going to step out of line. That's why Greg had a great purging of his Facebook contacts immediately yeah. following that meeting. People just said it's easier to cut him off than to question this narrative. This has been a, a large part of our story, you know, that we've been telling here. And it's not all of it. If somebody you know, wants to reach out and have a conversation at, at this point, I'm an open book. An interesting thing to come out of this is that they named those guys as people you can talk to if you want to get out. The, the stuff that you're doing, we've seen this with like Larry Nasser, and we've seen this before where one person like starts speaking out and it starts to gain traction and it empowers people to tell their own stories. We saw this almost immediately. Of course, you like going on the record and starting a podcast and talking more about Melissa's story with with her on the on the show and it's empowering and when you start to take all of these stories at the same time and start to put yeah. all these things together, it doesn't create a great picture. Yeah. We're describing a system of abuse. When this happened as we were so blindsided and we were like, I can't believe they did this to us. But then the more we learned, And it was super isolating and we thought it was a one-off. Well, but the more we learned, we realized this isn't the first time they've done this. We knew about them having meetings and accusing people of all sorts of stuff that, you know, now we're like, did they do any of it? Yeah. Was any of the stuff that they were saying about people true? Like, because none of it was about us. And we started to do the same thing where we got out of Ramsey, deprogrammed a bunch and started meeting people that had some very similar experiences to ours who were wonderful people. Everyone that I've talked, and Greg has talked to more than I have, but everyone that I've talked to that reaches out is just so relieved to know that someone's finally talking. Yeah. And I've been waiting. And some of them say, I've been mm -hmm. waiting for years for someone to talk. I've been so scared. And they're so relieved. For years to, to tell know my story. And I felt so alone. And now yeah. I've had some people say, just because I shared the one article where you went on the record, Amy, and I had shared it, and I had people reach out that went, that's when I knew you were safe is because you shared that article. And I can't believe those women were so brave that they talked. Yeah. To a and it's not a club that you want someone to be in, but you're happy to not be alone in it. Has it's been illuminating and it's been empowering, but it's also been very sad yeah. to, to think when it happened to us, wow, this seems so unusual. And the farther we've gotten from it and the more people we've talked to, the more I've realized it was not unusual. It's just everyone was scared. The truth is the reason they went after us so hard, they threatened us the way they did is because those tactics have worked for them in the past. Yeah, they have. The reason we waited so long to tell our story is because it doesn't make sense unless you tell it in the context of other people's stories. And that's mm -hmm. why I think the podcast is a good place for it is because it's in the context of your story and your story is so 
heavily wound up with ours. I think since you're, you were already telling yours, yeah, it made sense for us to tell ours because as much as ours does not make sense, just in general, yeah, it makes even less sense when you tell it in isolation. The other thing I wanted to say that I was just thinking about the other day is it's really disempowering to realize the people you're up against have all these advantages that you do not have. And I'm not just talking about money. When this all started and we realized that it wasn't a mistake, at that point is when it became terrifying. Because when you realize the other person is willing to lie, like they're not bound by the constraints of truth or ethical behavior, there's suddenly no limit to what they could do to you because it doesn't have to be fair. And there's no way to retaliate against it because we're not going to lie. The truth sounds like we're lying. There was something about their willingness to lie. Then it was like, there is no limit on what they can do. It's a really particularly scary thing to realize that the other party is playing without any of the guardrails that you have to have. And so with which this is one of the reasons I think that, you know, you telling your story like this and hopefully, you know, us telling it feels kind of like taking a little bit of that power back. Like we get to present our own narrative. We get to finally say, here's what happened. Here's the truth that we were never able to tell people. Uh, you know, Ramsey has 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 attracted some really great people to work there. And when he has shown his colors to not have integrity, the, those people that are good people aren't really going to be okay forever well, to just slink away. I think their fatal flaw has been focusing so much on people who really buy into the the stated mission. Whether or not the the actual leadership believes in those things, a lot of the people they hire do. And if you really believe, once you find out that an organization is hurting people, you're not just going to walk away. You're going to go, no, you're hurting people. And I'm not okay with that. If you had one person that you could talk to, one conversation that you could have with somebody at Ramsey, Greg, since everything you've experienced, do you know who you would talk to? And what you would like to say. I do have an individual that I would like to go back and talk to. I would still go have a beer with this person. I, I'd like to have a conversation with them. This individual knows who they are. They're one of the people that called my employer to try to get me fired. I tried to call them, you know, the day that I gave my my two weeks notice, they weren't there. They were out sick. So I had to do that over the phone, which I've always you know, hated that I had to do that. After I left, before everything happened months and months later, like I had tried to reach out numerous times to no avail. I just, I want to know why. You're very influential in the company and in the industry, and you know me, and yet you accepted this falsehood almost instantaneously. And I've worked with you for years. Like when you were a contractor with the company, uh, we worked together pushing the product processes further and further ahead. And you didn't 
talk to me. You didn't reach out to me. Instead, you immediately bought into this lie and you reached out to my employer. And I just, I just want to know why. I'm infinitely accessible. We're still likely connected on a bunch of networks. You probably still have my number. I would still have the conversation. I would go get a drink. I'd go out to a, to a meal. I'm very easy to get a hold of. I would still have that have that conversation. Lauren, if you could talk to anybody or say anything. I have two answers for this, which is cheating, because the question was one person. I wasn't close to very many people within the organization or through the organization, but I knew that Greg was. I knew that he had this group of guys that were his best friends that had been his best friends for years um, that, you know, he talked about all the time that he leaned on. They'd talk about everything, their families, their kids, you know, their their struggles. And these were really good, solid relationships that I knew he treasured. And after that meeting, those changed. And some of them were salvageable. And others seem to not have been. I would want to reach out to some of those guys and take them by the lapels and shake them just to kind of see if I could jog some sense into them and be like, what are you doing? What was this friendship to you that you're just willing to walk away from it over a lie? Why would you believe those awful things instead of this friendship that you've put so much of yourself into. I just would want to ask them to really re-examine their priorities and ask, is this job that would have you just completely cut off one of your best friends, is that something a good and healthy employer asks of you or makes you afraid to continue that relationship? I mean, you can believe in the mission of getting people out of debt you know, all you want, it's one thing to believe in the product the company is selling. It's another thing to believe the reality that the company is demanding that you buy into when that reality is contrary to what I perceived as being, you know, one of the more important relationships in your life. That's my first answer is I'd want to talk to the guys that I wasn't close to, but that I know my husband was and not the ones who have stuck with him through this, but the ones that didn't. That would take a lot of bravery for somebody to actually reach out at that point and say, hey, I believed all of that and I haven't talked to you in forever. What's going on? How are you? <laughs> right? Like if anybody wanted to reach out and talk with me, like I still would. I think from being on the inside for so long, you would have a lot of understanding for why it might take someone a while to work up that courage or even not work up the courage, but come out of the fog enough to realize that this wasn't a good thing that they bought into. I think you'd have compassion. Yeah, absolutely. That's my first answer. And then my second one, you know, as I said, I wasn't close to very many people through the company, but of the very small number that I was, first, I would ask them to listen to this podcast. I'd ask them to hear our story because I haven't had someone who is still entrenched in the company ask me. And I feel like I've given lots of opportunity, but no one's taken me up on it. I think everyone has been kind of content to 
exist in this space where we just don't talk about it. And so I would ask them to, first of all, listen to this podcast and listen to our story and actually hear what happened and what they did to us. And just, first of all, just sit with that and think through, is that something a good and healthy place does? Is that something where I should just say, well, that was your experience and it's too bad, but mine has been good. And so we're just going to agree to disagree on this. Secondly, I would really like them if they listened to the episode and then still had questions, I would want them to come to me with those questions. Because a thing I've realized about myself through this is I have placed a boundary and I around myself where I'm not going to chase down people because I feel like they should care why I'm bleeding. If I've been wounded and put in the hospital and someone never comes to visit me and ask if I'm okay, then I'm not going to drag myself out of my bed with all my bandages and go hunt them down and ask them why they didn't come visit me. You know, there there has to be a boundary there where people need to invest at least a minimal amount of caring about those wounds to be willing to at least enter the room, stand in the doorway and say, hey, what happened to you? <laughs> Why are you here? You know, where'd all this blood come from? And so I think this podcast is a great way of answering the question of where did all the blood come from? And if they have any follow-up questions, like what's your treatment plan? How are you dealing with it? Do you need rehab? I don't know how long I can drag out this metaphor, but we're going to see. I don't want to have to ask, track them down and have to do a, do you see the bandages? Would you like to know how I was cut open? At some point in time, people need to show that they're actually interested in the answers to those questions. When I started this season, I had no idea that Greg and Lauren were going to volunteer to share their story. I don't think they could have guessed they would either. But there's something powerful about sharing one's story. In this case, for Greg and Lauren, telling their story and calling out the lies spread about them is a small part of reclaiming and redeeming what was taken from them. At the same time, I don't take for granted the risk they are taking in doing this. But to quote Dave Ramsey, we don't make decisions based on fear. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangled Faith Podcast. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you who support this work on Patreon. Our Patreon members have access to bonus audio. Members also get access to transcripts, a monthly live stream, and other exclusive behind-the-scenes info. For information, visit untangledfaithpodcast.com slash member. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook as Untangled Faith. On Twitter, I'm Faith Untangled. On the next episode of Untangled Faith, I'll be wrapping up this series. I'll see you here next week. Humdinger. Wallaby. <laughs> oh, we should just do like Pachycephalosaurus. Oh no, I may have just ripped my pants. Maybe that doesn't go on the record either. <laughs> I didn't. Everything's fine. <laughs>